I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to the first of this week's Ulster Rugby Roundups. That's right, we've got more than one on this episode. We've got the international call-up as we look back to Ireland's resounding victory over France and preview the Six Nations Climax in Wales this weekend. Aside from that, we've got Rory Best's retirement announcement to assess and some club action, including more big results in the ever-changing All-Ireland Division 1B table. If that's not enough for you, make sure you catch our Bonus Schools Cup Final preview episode if we have time at this stage, although we hopefully hopefully will. So, alongside me, Gareth Hanna, for all that, are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, how are we? And Adam McKendry. Hey, guys. So, it feels like a while since we've been together, the three of us. It's been, it's been a long time. Michael Sadler's been coming in on squad rotation and doing a very good job. I enjoy Michael, just as a person and as a podcast contributor. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what context you were no, putting that every, every context, really. But don't switch off now that you find out he's not here. Yeah, yeah. do that. Um, Michael will be back next week uh, if you are just a, a Michael Sadler fanatic rather than a podcast fanatic just you can't turn off now and come back next week he'll be back and I'll probably not be here which means the figures will probably be up again and then I'll be crowning the ball as it was last time I was going to say there who's, who's not here I thought maybe I've been relegated whether I've been told <laughs> no, no I'm relegating myself um, anyway <laughs> you'd want with the classic Eddie O'Sullivan of not picking me but not telling me <laughs> <laughs> you'd just turn up and wait, wait, what are you doing <laughs> uh, anyhow, Ireland 26, France 14 But uh, it was more one-sided than that, wasn't it, John? Yeah, it was incredibly one-sided um, Frustratingly so from a perspective of the championship Because the first half of that game especially um, Was like a training exercise France's exit strategy was Kick to touch and let Ireland attack again I think they had 14 lineouts in the first half um, in French territory so that was really what you were seeing just Ireland given an opportunity to attack, 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 attack again um, Was it 70-30 possession or something like that in the first half? I think it was, even, I think it was even more than that possibly oh, Really? Um, and then there was that stat where France had been in Ireland 22 for 5 seconds of the first half <laughs> Yeah, say this. when they didn't even have the ball it was an Ireland, <laughs> yeah. an, an Ireland scrum off of France This isn't the contest um, yeah, just insanely one-sided, because France are really, really poor. Yeah, well, that was the question. Does it say more about Ireland returning to form, or France just being absolutely dreadful? I would have said more about France being absolutely dreadful. I saw a tweet after the game uh, where someone was saying, at least Italy show up and look like they want to be there. France occasionally just don't. And on this occasion, you could argue it was one of those ones where France just looked like they'd rather be anywhere else. But... That was the thing, we talked about it last week, uh, how we weren't sure what side we were going to see from France, and we were hoping that we would see the team that at times looked sensational against Scotland, and they never really showed up. And from the very start, you could just tell how the game was going to go. You know, Rory Best goes over for that try early on, that just sort of set set the tone for the rest of the game, and once that happened, you just knew how it was going to turn out and that for me is the most disappointing thing it's it's good that Ireland got back partially to sort of where where we hoped they'd be but France just made it so easy for them apart from defend France did nothing else in that first mm-hmm. half and that that's the most frustrating thing you want to see 
good games in the Six Nations. This is supposed to be the pinnacle of Northern Hemisphere international rugby. And what you basically saw there was a glorified training exercise where uh, France would clear it, Ireland would come back, and that's basically just how the first half went. So at least the French got a bit of tackling practice in, but... uh, (laughs) They didn't do that very well. Well, no. (laughs) But in, 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 in terms of the game as a contest, really disappointing. Is it disappointing then that Ireland sort of let those late tries in and didn't sort of keep their their foot on France's neck, as it were? That's a very violent uh, sort of simile, don't I? I'm sorry. um, (laughs) Channeling your inner Napoleon there. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I wasn't really too bothered about it, to be honest. Um, There was an awful lot of stats that we were looking up in the middle of the game that we then didn't get to use, so that was frustrating. Like the last (laughs) time France had been nilled and stuff like that. But um, when was it? uh, 1991. um, 1990 in the Six Nations. Uh, Well, Five Nations as it was then. But uh, who was it? 1991. I can't remember. Uh, Well, you didn't get to use it, so Ireland relegated it from your mind. Ireland's biggest win over France was 24-0 back in like 1908 yeah, or something yeah. so that was another one that looked like it was heading towards I'm actually going to disagree with you Johnny I I was concerned that Ireland didn't kind of put the foot in the throat and just kill them off towards the end because one of the things I was most impressed by for Ulster whenever they played Zebra a few weeks ago was that after they got the bonus point they didn't just coast to the end and potentially make it a bit nervy or anything like that they did keep the foot in the throat and they did rack up a big score and I think even from you know I, I don't think Ireland are coming away thinking oh we we didn't play that well because we only won by 12 points in the end or, or however much it was whereas you're coming away from that Ulster game where they put 50 odd points on Zebra and you're thinking man Ulster actually you know put a team to the sword that was great I think even just on a superficial level being able to say 26-0 as opposed to 26-14 just sounds better. Mm-hmm. It, it just gives you that little bit more of a lift in terms of, oh, look at this scoreline. Being able to say, you know, we, we put a record win over on France, especially when the team's not going as well as you'd hope they uh, you'd hope they are. I think it, it would have just been that extra bit of, well, we, we actually did quite well here to keep them to nil and put a record score on them and stuff yeah. like that. I, I I would have liked to have seen them be a lot more clinical towards the end and not sort of drop off as they did. The only reason that I disagree <coughs> with that really is um, Ireland's intensity hasn't looked like it's been there um, throughout this championship, but it really was in this game and obviously in stark contrast to the um, intensity of France. But the other thing as well is you're managing a six-day turnaround um, to the game. So to have that yeah. mental intensity, emotional intensity, physical intensity, um, you're probably better saving it for this weekend for the sake of half an hour. France are never going to come back. There are teams in World Rugby that can come back from 19-0 down, but France aren't one of them with the um, with the mentality that they have. Yeah. Um, sure. Like, they'll die in tools. And if anything, it's probably more a case of, um, in favour of the French bonus point system rather than um, our bonus point system, I suppose, where that would have cost Ireland a bonus point, but as it was, it was fairly academic. So I saw a few journalists uh, sort of touting it up as a big day for Ian Henderson, 
Um, how how significant was it? Was it for for him? I thought it was really really good. I was surprised in some of the player ratings that I saw that he um, didn't seem to be, or maybe other people didn't think his performance was as strong as I thought it was. I thought it, you're really looking at James Ryan, Kane Healy, Ringrose, and Henderson. I thought were the four best players. Um, thought he had a really good day. Again, you're looking at the partnership with. James Ryan and that does look like that's not using the word partnership loosely that does look to me like a partnership mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's what Ireland want as well they want that partnership of Ryan and Henderson as the two young guys in that lock pairing you've got Bernd Adden as well but you look at pairing those two together you're two superstars that you can go forward with and I think that's probably the most exciting thing about both Ryan and Henderson that they were able to perform so well together. I think it's great that Henderson had a good individual performance and I think he did need that coming back from injury. But uh, from an Ireland perspective, you pair the two together and you look at them as a collective and I thought they were fantastic. It's exactly what you want from those two guys. Is that them rubber stamped for the, the starting pairing at the World Cup? Well, you would like to see them play again together this week, but um, injury again looks like it's going to scupper that. So, um, I think personally that's your World Cup pairing, and then you've got Byrne on the bench. But the thing to remember at the minute is that Devon Toner is out injured, so all it takes is one day of the line out going astray, and then you'll see Devon Toner come back in in the same way that you did Argentina into the All Blacks um, in November. Hendy was obviously calling the line out on Sunday. I thought called it really well. There was loads of variation. Um, after it going so badly against Italy, he took on an awful lot of, him, of it himself early on. You saw the first I think four go t- to him, best of Henderson, that... Um, Ulster combination that they obviously work on so much and have that familiarity there but um, we saw against Argentina in November that when the line out struggles even like Sean Cronin being bombed out of the squad after uh, um, the Italy game there two weeks ago when the line out goes wrong things can get quite reactionary so Devon Toner is not out of this by any means at all um, and you know Tyg Byrne could come in and have an absolute stormer this weekend that'll be the sixth different lock that's got to start for Ireland during this cha- <laughs> the five games of this championship is a bit out there like, but um, there's real depth but off the back of um, off the back of Sunday they're certainly the clubhouse leaders as it were good golf reference I'm enjoyed that very good very good John <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the injury there. Just a few rumours before we started recording that Ian Henderson's going to miss this weekend. Is that, from what you're saying there, John, is that going to happen, you think? Uh, it certainly sounds like it. The strange thing about it, I suppose, is that Alton Delan did media yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um, at Carden House. Um, so I personally can't remember an Ireland player ever... Um, doing media and then not playing unless yeah. they got injured um, it has happened elsewhere <laughs> but um, um, so Delan looks like he's in the 23 and I think Delan's probably earned his spot in the 23 so 
Um, it'll be interesting to see the team announced tomorrow now if indeed Tyburn is getting that start because obviously he knows Wales so well, Wales know him very well but he'd seem to be, along with probably Will Addison, he'd seem to be someone who injury had just struck at the wrong time and that was really going to put um, start on the back foot then for that World Cup because neither of them obviously mm-hmm. um have an awful lot of caps and an awful lot of experience to fall back on at this level. So it's a really, really big, big chance for Byrne this weekend to remind everyone of his talents. Because for me, like he's probably been Munster's best player this year. This is why you worry a bit about Henderson. Um, if Henderson's fit, he goes to the World Cup without a shadow of a doubt. He's one of those first names on the on the squad list. But the problem is the more games he spends out, the more you let Ryan impress, the more you let Byrne impress. Um, T- Toner's obviously a Schmidt favourite because he offers such a secure man at the line out. Um, and Delan's impressing. So the more games that Henderson misses, the more chance that someone's going to impress in his, uh, in his absence. As I said at the start, I, if he's fit, he's one of the first names on the squad. Uh, and I'm not disputing that. But if, if he continues to miss games, there's always that little bit of doubt in the back of your mind. I think Henderson's got to prioritise himself on getting fit and playing a run of games as opposed to this come back in, play a game, get injured. I don't know if he's rushing himself back or not, but he needs to find a way to get back, get healthy and get playing again. Because say say he misses three out of three more games towards the end of the season... You don't have a big sample size to prove to Joe Schmidt mm-hmm. I'm healthy and you can rely on me. Because bear in mind, you're in Japan for the World Cup. It's not like you're in England where you can just fly someone over uh, at the click of a finger. You know, you're in Japan where you're going to have to bring someone a long way across the world to join up with the squad if Henderson proves injured. So, a lot of boys taking their holidays in Fiji. Mm. It's just I uh, hope this injury then isn't serious enough to threaten any quarterfinal places don't even don't even speak it out loud I know I know I can sense the panic already but like I suppose like unless he has broken both legs everything else will probably be healed up in the two weeks uh, until the quarterfinal given his uh, return <laughs> well the thing is it's a, it is a very strange it's a strange enough story but with Henderson you have to add in the context of he did media after the Argentina game in the World Cup where he'd um, destroyed his fingers, did media after Leicester when he destroyed his fingers. When he destroyed his fingers, but he did media on Sunday TV after the game, and as he has hasn't done in the past either. I suppose there didn't seem to be anything wrong with him, and the squad only came back in on Monday night. He wasn't mentioned in the injury report on Monday night. So hopefully this is just airing on the side of caution. It's unfortunate that we're recording this this morning because hopefully we'll find out more throughout the course of the day. But for the purposes of right now... Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's just, maybe he should stop doing media after games because it only seems to be after yeah, games yeah. where he does media he's then ruled out the next week. I just look for the official confirmation of these destroyed fingers. That's <laughs> we're not calling um, that's, that's my medical expertise. <laughs> New try for Jacob Stockdale at the weekend. That's basically a, a crisis at international level, isn't it? I mean, he, he went over the line and it was called back but he still celebrated like he'd scored. <laughs> so... Um, 
like you can't score every week. Yeah. And it, it was. Fine. I'm not. I'm not genuinely concerned. <laughs> it's not because I had the. How we feature in my head about the guy that he would have broken the tie with to become Ulster's third most. Uh, oh, but don't spoil it for when it happens. Don't spoil it for next week. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to know. Don't want any names yet. Okay. Don't spoil the surprise. I'll keep you on tender hooks. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, it, it was one of those games where Jacob just had a little bit of a quieter game than he's used to. Um, and it, that just happens at international yeah. level. That guys can't be superstars every single week. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, I know you're only joking, but no concern. <laughs> he's, he's still first name on the team sheet in terms of the wingers. I'd Just... say it'd be written. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, you're, you're probably right. I understand we're not concerned, but I'd say if the team scores four tries and he doesn't score, it'll be absolutely <laughs> ripping. Um, speaking of the wingers, then, just briefly, very encouraging performance from Jordan Larmer. Sorry, I did that thing where I didn't address either of you. No, no, I was going to say something, Johnny took a deep breath in. I was like, okay, you go. (laughs) Yeah, like I thought he made a really good start, apart from that one for the French disallowed try where he lost the ball in the air. I thought he made a really good start with that kick. Um, It turned out that Ireland didn't really have to do this, but like, because French, France gave them so many opportunities through other ways, but like we've seen how effective it can be when you turn the French back three around. Um, and it was his kick that essentially created Roy Best's try. Um, great kick over the top. And like the, the way that the weather was, it was not a day where you really wanted to be told you're coming in to play fullback because... The weather was horrendous. Yeah, I was just thinking I said stay in the throwing or something. I knew he was playing fullback, well, so just before people give yeah, off. Like, <laughs> you, you meant back three, obviously. Yeah, um, and he is normally a winner, so like, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Just leave they, it, guys. They do, just leave they it do guys, that right? much switching around. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, but the, like, the problem with Larmer is we've seen him do this. Or we've seen, not the problem, the knock, I suppose, on Larmer's test career so far is that we've seen him do this against the likes of... Italy and Chicago and other games when he's come in um, and much like I suppose Stockdale himself the questions that are levelled at him at this um, standard of rugby is defensively but he didn't really have to do anything defensively um, what you did see from him is electric footwork which um, anyone who's seen him play against Ulster over the last couple of years knows already um, all about that you know the best part of the game was that great run he did almost up to the line. You could see in his face that he thought he was over the line. And then was it Bastro came mm. back and absolutely cleaned him from behind. <laughs> A big Bastro tackle. <laughs> um, I, st- I still think Rob Carney is the man for the big game for Ireland. Yeah. Car- Carney is reliable. That's, a, that's mm. the biggest thing. Larmer, you're going to get that electric footwork. He could get that one in a million play from him. Carney is Carney you just know is going to be solid. He's gonna put in that at least seven out of ten performance and then if he gets going at some point he can easily push himself up to an eight or a nine in a game. He's kinda of like Stephen Davis for Northern Ireland, where you ju- you just know you're gonna get class from him. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. it's just how much you're gonna get from him in a game. Whereas La- Larmer Larmer always has the potential to just have that shaky mm-hmm. game. Lar like Larmer was one and one of the few players who really could have done with France being better. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. like, don't get me wrong, he impressed. Yeah. But his problem was, much like in some of his previous caps, he was impressing against 
a very disorganised team that weren't mm-hmm. off very much in attack. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about Roy Best then. Obviously, he um, celebrated that final home appearance for Ireland with a try, and um, the fans' reaction uh, to him at that stage, and then uh, towards the end of the game, was just phenomenal. Yeah, um, I can't imagine what it's like to sort of announce this is going to be my last Six Nations game at home and then all of a sudden have it thrust upon you. You know, I, I think what now that you know he is going after the World Cup, it does make you appreciate a lot more what you're losing. So whenever you, you get that reception, it's almost like, okay, this is what people really think of me because people whenever you're playing are very quick to criticize whenever something goes wrong there have been so many line out problems where it immediately goes on the hooker even though it Mm -hmm. might not be his fault but then as soon as you know he's going everyone's suddenly like well wasn't rory best the greatest hooker to ever pull on the green jersey um but i I think we're gonna see how much ireland miss him after the world cup and i think you look at what he's able to do as captain in terms of the leadership, in terms of his ability to talk to referees, in terms of his ability to bring that locker room together. Johnny Sexton talked about it, how, um, yeah. how he's so selfless, how it's team first, individual second. Um, so I, I think in terms of Saturday, Sunday's game, to be able to sign off in your last Six Nations appearance in Dublin with a try, I think you probably couldn't ask for much more. Bonus point win. Yeah, he he'll be happy with uh, with his send off. Absolutely. Um, a few questions coming in then regarding Rory, uh, Dave Kenning, and um, somebody else. I didn't write it down, so I can't remember who it was. But they were asking uh, whether Rory's going to play for Ulster then after he retires from Ireland duty, uh, and if. Ulster could afford to pay him if that was the case. I think I just sort of took the announcement as he's retiring in general. But I know you did. I know you did because the push notification well, that no, came no, through on my phone now, from well, the Belfast well, Telegraph nearly gave me a heart attack on well, Saturday afternoon. Now, just before you go blaming me on that, that wasn't me. I wasn't working, so I the first I saw of it was the push notification as well. So just apologise. I was. Uh, <laughs> I came back into the house. I'd left my phone upstairs. I was watching. The Wales Scotland game. I went up to get my phone in between the two games, and there on my phone from the Belfast Telegraph, Rory Best retires. Not what I needed on a, <laughs> on, a, on a Saturday afternoon. Just like to repeat, not <laughs> as a journalist. Why do you not have your phone on you at all times? I have a day off during the week, and I like to switch off during it. Quite okay. right. Anyway, so what what's happening? Um. The announcement, the announcement was purely about international, and then um, I think it got picked up wrong by a few places online. Maybe that were um, doing it, but like the the question was in relation to the the last Six Nations game in Dublin. So that there's nothing set in stone about next year. I don't think we are like we are getting to a point where, as the question alludes to. Um, a decision probably has to be made because you're talking about a central contract 
to become not a sender contractor is something that Ulster aren't paying for at the minute that they would then have to start paying for. I think the way that he's playing, um, he'd be a real, real asset to be around next season. I think anybody that saw him asked about the possibility of Jack McGrath coming to Ulster next season, he wasn't talking like somebody who wasn't going to be there. He was talking like somebody who would be very excited to see Jack McGrath in the front row alongside him. So if I had to put money on it right now, I think he would play on mm. after the World Cup. The only thing to weigh that against is how, I suppose, good a send-off the World Cup would be, like to go out at the very, very top rather than um, plying on in the Pro 14 with Ulster. But I think from talking to him this year, he's really enjoyed this season with Ulster. Mm-hmm. He's really enjoyed the young players. I think he's really enjoyed playing with somebody like Eric O'Sullivan. He's enjoyed having Marty Moore in there beside him. Um and from what I like from what I've been told, he really one, really, really likes Jack Morales as a player, but really likes him as a person as well. So if that were to come off, I think that would be another um another push for him to stay on and give it another year. Like it's funny, like Adam talks about things just sort of jumping up on you. Like, presuming that he doesn't play against Kings next week, which is a strong assumption, but one, like, we made this assumption last year and then didn't the Six Nations players end up playing in that game in against Cardiff? Cardiff yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's, it's different circumstances this year, not yeah, to get sidetracked, yeah. but last year also really needed them back this year. Plus it was one game out of... Um, one game on and then they were off again so they would have had a couple of weeks off but anyway to not get sidetracked Ulster only have one home game left apart from that game Mm -hmm. so the Ulster farewell if it were to be this season he's only got one game at Kingspan left which would be I don't know they may start printing the 12 page (laughs) supplements uh, (laughs) healing him now I think we'll I, I was sort of hoping he was just going to play for Bambridge afterwards. <laughs> Bambridge would immediately jump into Division 1A <laughs> yeah. and would prob- probably dominate if the best hoops started playing well. Um, I think if there's a question here over whether best plays on, I think it's solely down to him. I think Ulster would be mad not to offer him something for next year if he was going to pl- continue to play on because he is just so influential. He's... He's so important to this yeah. team. There's, yeah, as there's regards to question, can they afford it? They'd find the money. I think they would. Yeah, I, th- I think they would. And certainly in terms of... I don't know, Rory drives a hard bargain. Like. <laughs> Two cows and a sheep. <laughs> in, ter- in terms of the importance to the squad, not only would you have him for another year, you know, Rory Best in the team, you also have Rory Best, the mentor, bringing on Adam McBurney... Um, John Andrew, uh, Zach McCall, guys like them, you know, be, being able to be the mentor for another year is huge for a team that is still trying to bring a lot more youth through uh, into the squad. And in terms of having someone to replace him whenever he goes, Rob Herring will step up into the breach <clears throat> in terms of the starting hooker. But, you know, who who do you have coming through in behind? That's where you need one of Adam McBurney or John Andrew to start really pushing uh, Rob Herring so that you don't have Rob just as the starter and you, you know that's who your starter is. You need to have a couple of people 
pushing for that starting jersey. So, yeah, as I say, if there's a question, it's uh, solely on Best, in my opinion, yeah. whether he plays on for another year or not. And the thing as well is you could actually have him playing considerably less games and playing exactly the same amount of games. Mm-hmm. For Ulster, so like people would be, yeah. uh, you know, people would still continue to talk about his age because he'd be thirty-seven at that stage. But you could still play him in European games, um, big entry pros, things like that. Have him play fifteen games, but he's playing eight, nine, ten less high intensity games yeah. a year if he's not playing for Ireland. If you continue to manage him like an Ireland international, yeah, but you yeah. just play him in sort of different different games than what he would now because he's an Ireland international I think it still works yeah. out I think mm. from what from what I've heard I would suspect that if he were to play on one of those other three hookers would probably be looking to leave I would imagine so that would mm. be the only thing I suppose but I think as Adam says like if Roy Best wants to play on I think Ulster have to find a way to make that happen yeah, absolutely. Donald's asking about. Um, D- Donald seems to have assumed he's retiring from Ulster, as oh. I did myself. That <laughs> push notification. So I'm going to the bottom of it. Responsible for it. I'm saying nothing. Marcel. It certainly wasn't only the Telegraph, we should say. It was, it was uh, yeah, a- that's very true. That's very true. And while we're dealing with things that we might have done wrong, everybody seemed to be giving off about the ratings this week and the wrong players were in it. Just that it, it's not the journalist's fault, things like that. Things are sent in, people put it in pages, and sometimes things are missed. So, but just to stick up with the journalists, I suppose. It's not a, yeah, it's not, well, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I these things. wasn't in the office on Sunday, yeah. but it looked to me like there was a template used from, yeah. the, from the England game, given that it was the England team. Uh, so, as I said to yeah. Michael, could have been a hell of a lot worse if we had to use the template from the Italy game and uh, there, were, <laughs> there were seven changes in it. That's very true. <laughs> um, Half the team would have been wrong. So, yeah, Donald's asking about the next Ulster captain. <coughs> Marcel, Henderson or Herring, he picks out as potential um, new captains. I think they st- Who would you pick? Well, Henderson. I think they started grooming Henderson as the next captain probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. And sort of similar to like the situation that Rob Herring is in with... Uh, best continued longevity the only reason but didn't they say Ian Henderson was like vice captain but then he just wasn't for a while yeah that was weird and, but, and they, never yeah. said, they never explained it the, like the whole captaincy thing has been weird whenever Best hasn't been there because like Rob Herring was always the vice captain then became co-captain um, with Trimble when for that year the Best wasn't captain and then John O'Gibbs essentially made Alan O'Connor vice captain and now, like, it's it's probably not particularly important, but it's just like, yeah. um, no, it strikes me one of these things that fans care about more than the yeah. team probably actually, yeah, actually do. It's a, it's but, a bit yeah. of a strange one, but like, there there's no shortage of leaders in that pack. You know, if Best isn't playing, then Herring will be playing, and he'll probably be captain. If neither of those two are playing, then Henderson's probably playing, and he's captain. At the end of the day, there's there's plenty of options in yeah. there. So, and hopefully it'll not be an issue for at least a, another season. Well, I I, th- I think personally, it's Henderson is your club captain. Mm. Um, after Best, and then in the same way that Best is captain now, despite being a frontline Irish international, like I think people maybe look at you know the likes of Leo Cullen. 
and Shane Jennings and those type of players that were able to like lead Leinster when O'Driscoll was Ireland captain and was absent or even um, O'Mahony um, whenever O'Connell was captain and O'Mahony wasn't like a front line um, monster player but when you look at the captains now you've got Sexton at Leinster um, O'Mahony at Munster because basically when they're playing if they weren't captain it would seem slightly incongruous because they have such mm-hmm. forceful personalities and that's mm-hmm. what you want Ian Henderson to become for Ulster yeah. left field option Sam Carter well, he's got captaincy as experience. As someone who has captaincy experience with yeah. the Brumbies. Don't know that uh, Matt's not as well, but he's shortened it down. Wales, then. <laughs> um, of course, this game, uh, going to, what's it called now? The Principality Stadium. Let's call the Millennium Stadium. That's what it is. Um, the Arms Park. <laughs> brings back <laughs> memories of 10 years ago and that day when Ireland won their first Grand Slam in 60-odd years. What's your what's your memories of it? You're probably in nappies, right? Yeah, I was... Can't do maths. You've been like 14 10, or something. Minus, minus 10 from what you are now. <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, 12. Yeah. So um, 12. Do you remember watching? I don't. Honestly, I don't. Um, <laughs> I don't remember much young. from when I was 12, to be perfectly honest. Um, Even I remember the, watching it. It's funny. I was in Cardiff on Sunday, and uh, the whole place is decked out for a potential Grand Slam. Like, it's, it's mad, but... Oddly enough, that's not mentioned anywhere. <laughs> so you, uh, you remember that day? I do remember that day. It's another one of these stories where you're gonna have like been like supposed to be working in the bar, but you're just sitting watching the rugby. I actually was working in the yeah, bar, but all, I, all these stories are <laughs> supposed to be working. I didn't start until after the game had finished, um, so I went in early to watch it um, before before my shift so my uh, my celebrations of it were, uh, were <laughs> muted shall we say <laughs> um, Tommy Brew then was obviously one of the big heroes that day and he's predicting another big result for, for Ireland this time around I was chatting with Tommy yesterday and um, he was saying I was talking to him about you know the Millennium Stadium 10 years ago or 10 years on and I was like yeah, yeah that's a great memory but then I've also got some pretty terrible memories of the Millennium Stadium as <laughs> that's well. That's so, news. Like, yeah, yeah, Tommy, we're, we're not here to talk about that. That's <laughs> um, obviously the two bad injuries he got in the in the Millennium mm. Stadium. Um, but yeah, he's predicting an Ireland win with um, under the rationale that um, they under Joe Schmidt have started slowly and finished strongly in the Six Nations. I think I'm right in saying that Joe Schmidt's never lost. Around five game of the Six Nations, which is a pretty incredible stat. Um, When you consider that they played away in Paris, away in Twickenham, Mm -hmm. um, to finish up... Away in Murrayfield. Away in Murrayfield. Won championships in all those places. Yeah. 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 And uh, beat a Grand Slam chasing England at home in one of the other games. So, yeah, he's got an incredible record. Has, has, however, never won a Six Nations game in Cardiff. Has won a Heineken Cup there. Has won a World Cup warm-up there, but never won a Six Nations game. Will you share Tommy Boo's optimism? No, I do not. <laughs> the problem... This is why we get called negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just don't... I didn't see enough from that France game to suggest that Ireland have turned enough of a corner to beat Wales, who seem to be... 
riding a high, who seem to be feeling pretty good. Have they been fantastic? No, they have not. But do I think at home, chasing a Grand Slam, they'll have enough to beat Ireland? I think they do. Um, I, I just think they have been finding enough in themselves to put, turn teams over. And that's just something that gets teams over the line. Um, so, for me, if, if I'd seen more from Ireland last week, I'd be a lot more optimistic. But I, I just don't think there was enough of an improvement uh, against France to suggest that they'll be able to make enough of a, an improvement this week to then overcome Wales. I wasn't particularly impressed with Wales at the weekend. Um, like, you talk about Ireland sort of um, taking the foot off the pedal against France like Wales took the foot off the pedal long before that game was won they were up by 9 points at half time and seemed to think job done and then like Scotland could have won that game Jonathan Davis and Hadley Parks in midfield were very very impressive defensively Josh Adams I don't know whether you can call him the breakout star um, because obviously he was fairly well known before but has probably been one of the stars of this championship but like they started really poorly against France. They were good for, I don't know, maybe about half an hour against England. Um, struggled against Italy more than um, Ireland did. And then, as I say, played a good half of rugby, but nothing more than that um, against Scotland. So it's really been that sort of will to win, which is what you expect from like a Warren Gatland team and a team captain by Alan Wynne-Jones but but that, that's what I'm saying they're finding ways to win and even have that's what I'm saying have they been good no they haven't but they're finding ways to win they're getting wins we, Ireland last year found a way to beat France in that first game even though they had absolutely no right to win that game but you don't talk about that too much. You only focus on, mm-hmm. oh, Ireland won the Grand Slam last year and went on to beat the All Blacks. How often is that France game mentioned as, well, <laughs> Grand Slam never, uh, nearly didn't happen. So, well, you like, yeah, you never think about an unimpressive Grand Slam team because you only remember that they won the Grand Slam. But like, well, yeah. if they beat Ireland and fail to convince, then it will be very strange for a team to mm-hmm. have won five games without really putting together together a strong performance like last year fair enough Italy were bad but Ireland blew Italy away um, beat Scotland handily enough if admitting that Scotland didn't take advantage of uh, a few opportunities when made it a lot closer and then had their signature game in Twickenham now Wales could have their signature game of this championship um, this weekend but for me, it's not so much anything that I've seen from Wales that makes me think they're going to win. It's just the fact that I can't see it, as Adam said, I can't see a Wales team losing in Cardiff um, with the Grand Slam on the line because it's like the energy in that place on Saturday is going to be unbelievable. I, I really felt you were teetering on the edge of predicting an Ireland victory there and then you just slammed the door shut again. No, I think Ireland, I think Ireland will play well, but I think Wales will... I think Wales will just be lifted by the occasion. Um, yeah, that was another thing you took away from your, your conversation with Tommy, wasn't it? That it's just going to be pretty bonkers. Yeah, like Tommy and Chris Henry both said the same thing. Of like, There is no better international venue to play in away from home 
in the Millennium Stadium, like the atmosphere, the roof closed. Um, it's an absolute ruddy nightmare to work in. Um, so, but not for the players. So, <laughs> see, you know what? That this is interesting because it seems like such a trivial thing. Have the roof closed or have it open? That was actually a big decision this week. Do you close it and let that atmosphere really build up in sort of like an arena type atmosphere where it just stays in? Or do you leave it open, risk the elements, depending on whether Storm Gareth's blown over or not? Um, but then you, you let it sort of become that more open stadium type feeling. So there there is actually a bit of a decision. It's not going to be a deciding factor or anything like that but you, you do want to take a bit of time to think about that I love Wales Week just every every other year we get the roof open roof closed it just gives something else to talk about <laughs> I, like, I, I would always sort of assume they'll close it because of the atmosphere thing but can we put one on Kingspan Stadium <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say something about one I've Cup atmosphere is yeah. closed I think I, like if I was Wales I would always just ask what the opposition wanted to do and do the opposite like I, I don't understand this like we have to how did that go about here Rory uh, do you want the roof opener no because the, the other team always gets to state a case don't they and then they'll do that well, the, other, the other team get to pick like it's, it's not a case of they get to state a case the other team pick yeah but then the, um, I thought the other team made a case and then ultimately they would decide upon things like I don't know weather or whatever but if no, I would, I, th- I thought it was the opposition said, "Yeah, we'd like it closed, please." We might, we might have yeah. to look, we might have to look into this and uh, <laughs> yeah. cut this bit out. <laughs> yeah, cut this entire bit out. <laughs> now, look for for this game. We know Wales are going to be up for it. If a team's not up for a gra- potential Grand Slam winning game, then there's something badly wrong with that team, especially given it's going to be Gatland's final. Uh, Six Nations game in charge. You're looking at some of that team, and you're thinking maybe it's going to be their last game, um, their last Six Nations game. So what a way for them to sign off in front of their home fans, uh, with a Grand Slam. That would be amazing. My biggest concern is Ireland. I just don't think there is enough in that Ireland team, based on what I've seen over the rest of the Six Nations, that they're going to be able to raise their performance to a level to negate what Wales are going to bring. Because even if Wales aren't at a hundred percent in terms of their performance, you gotta add on maybe ten percent for what the crowd are gonna bring, what the atmosphere is gonna bring, what the occasion's gonna bring. So that you've got there's so much to factor in this week. It's not just Ireland v Wales; it's Ireland v Wales plus uh, such an occasion. I find the rules about the roof. Oh, so uh, this is from this year. This was written this year uh, ahead of the Wales England game. So it says under Six Nations rules, both teams have to agree for the roof to be closed, and that is normally Wales's preference. So really, it does. For, so Wales are basically according to this, say every time we want the roof closed. But if the opposition team wants it open, then it stays open because both teams have to agree for it to be closed, and that's why it was open whenever England played there because England said no, we want it open. So, so, so basically, is, it basically is the opposition make the decision because Wales are always well, going to say they want it closed, and the opposition yeah, decide whether they but, effectively. But Wales, if Wales change their mind, then you know what I mean. So anyway, yeah, there we go. Now we know. Um, a couple more listener questions just to to deal with. Um, Peter Bird asks, do you think 
Peter Nelson and Clive Ross have earned uh, contract <coughs> extensions for next season at Ulster. They both like contributed very well the last couple of weeks. I'd heard Pete Nelson was um, at one stage pretty close to going to France. Um, so I don't know how much or how many different clubs were interested in him over there, but there was certainly one um, at that level. But I, did, I think also, like people, I think are could be guilty of overlooking how many players Ulster are going to need next year because you know the season starts what the end of September this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so by that stage, you don't know how many players you'll one have had in the original Iron squad and two how many more you'll have had flown out there to deal with injury like there's loads and loads and loads of players flown out last at the last World Cup mm-hmm. to deal with um, to deal with injuries so and the thing as well is it's not like the World Cup final happens and then these players are back for you the next week Um like these play, these Ireland players are going to have to be managed the whole way through the season, like they were in twenty fifteen. Like twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen was um, a horror show for Irish rugby because their players were just so tired. Like that was the year that nobody got out of the pools in Europe. Um, so these players need managed straight the way through, and that puts a real strain on your squad. So having guys like Pete Nelson and Clive Ross, who could make fifteen appearances, say. Um, in the Pro 14 combined starts and um, bench games combined um, you need guys like that in your squad f- for next year especially it just finally and a couple more questions this week about um, recruitment as always are Ulster signing Re- any more players recruit- where do they need to sign more players recruitment's done now like if, if Ulster are still looking for players at this stage of the season then they're not players you want in your squad and <coughs> You know, if if you're bringing in someone who's not already contracted to a team for next season by this stage, then you're better off just giving their game time to an academy player or someone like that, because basically they're not someone worth having. Like if it that that's that's just basic. If you, if you're getting to this stage, what early March, <clears throat> and you haven't already uh, agreed deals with players for next season, then. They're just not worth having around. I think if like what Ulster are probably looking at to build this season and next season really is depth. Like depending on the Jack McGrath decision, you've got a <coughs> first fifteen that is either Jack McGrath, Eddie O'Sullivan, Eric, Eddie, Eric. <laughs> Eddie O'Sullivan on the brain. Can we get Eddie O'Sullivan back to play Genuinely, <laughs> genuinely surprised that that's the first time I've ever done that. <laughs> <laughs> It nearly happened last week when you were alive, but did it? Yeah, no, all I want is Eddie O'Sullivan to play loose head for Ulster. Eric O'Sullivan, depending on the best situation, best or Rob Herring, Marty Moore, Henderson, Carter, Katia, Reedy, Murphy, Cooney, Burns, Stockdale, um, McCluskey, McCluskey, Addison, Ludic, and possibly Balakin, Gilroy whenever he comes back. Yeah. You know, that's a decent uh, that's a pretty decent first fifteen. So what you're looking to add in terms of recruitment beyond that, I think personally is depth. Yeah. Fair. But but you're not you're not gonna get anyone at this stage who's gonna offer better depth than 
the players you've already got or in the academy. You might you might add one more player, say just as a, an extra body, but at the same time, they're they're not going to be anything substantial. You know, I, I think people always ask these questions, thinking Ulster are going to bring in someone big. You know, another big MIQ mm-hmm. signing from the Southern Hemisphere. That that's not going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. if anybody is still to be signed by Ulster, it's probably someone on loan from another of the provinces or something like that. Yeah, or some, get or so, some, some, Ar- some Irish qualified player mm-hmm. that you've never heard of from the championship or something like that. Clubs then, just finally for the, the first half of this week's uh, duo podcast. I, I was completely caught off guard by that. <laughs> all uh, you need to know is Bambridge won, so they still might go down. They still all might right, go up. all right. Nobody right. knows. Uh, 1B is absolutely insane. <laughs> it's mad. Like, the weekend's results mean that just eight points separate Old Wesley in first and Buccaneers in ninth, which is insane. Um, yeah, so from an Ulster perspective, in 1B, Balna Hinscher tied with Old Wesley at the top on 43 points after they defeated Buccaneers 43-24 away. City of Armagh are just a point behind those two after their 39-21 win over St Mary's College. Malone's worrying slide continues after they lost again, this time away to Old Belvedere 15-12, while Balamina are on the verge of dropping down into 2A after they were beaten 31-27 at home by Banbridge, who move up to 6th. In Division 2A, Queen's University had a big 41-22 win over Nina Ormond, which keeps them 4 points ahead of UL Bohemian in the race for the final playoff spot. In Division 2B, Rainey got back on the winning trail as they won 29-24 away at Galway Corinthians, which has them on the verge of assuring a playoff spot in 2B as they are 10 points ahead of 5th. Dungana moved up one place to 7th after a 2017 win over Sunday's well at Stevenson Park, while Belfast Harlequins picked up what might be an important bonus point away at leaders MU Barnhall as they lost but also by a 2017 scoreline they stay five points ahead of Sunday's well at the bottom in ninth and in division 2c Oma have slipped out of the playoff spots and down into fifth after they were beaten 35-12 by Middleton while City of Derry have moved above Bangor in the table and up to sixth after their 10-5 win at Judges Road over the Seasiders Bangor fall to eighth there are no games this week, by the way. Everyone's, no games this week. Everyone's taking a nice wee weekend off. So the only rugby to look forward to this weekend with Ulster, of course, not playing, is the Six Nations game and the Schools Cup. And that brings us on nicely to this week's special Schools Cup edition podcast. If you don't want to listen to that, then don't. Because this podcast is over now. But if you do, please uh, do tune in to the... Schools Cup podcast, which will be published later on today. Don't know when I'm publishing the two of them. Never had to do two of them one week before. Don't know. Should I just publish them at the same Strategically time? Should I spread them out? It's all very exciting. Who knows? But just keep your eye out for it. So, for now, from I Jonathan Bradley. I can't wait to find out what you do with this. <laughs> <laughs> from Adam McGarry. Cheers, guys. And me, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.